So we have this habit of naming each of our generations a specific name that kind of identifies who they are. You're probably familiar with some of those names, Baby Boomers, Generation X, the Millennials, Generation Z. Some say the next generation is Generation 19. I don't know if that's true or not, but think about what happened to Generation 20 rather than 19. You think about the generations, though, that take place, and I think about what, what is it that we want all generations to be identified with in terms of what God wants for us. And it's to be the faithful generation, isn't it? Generation faithful. Learning to pass it on from generation to generation. But not only that, wherever you see yourself in that picture of the generations, wherever you are, I think about church. I mean, church is one of the very few places, right, next to the family where generations get together and they share life together. And so when I look at that picture, and I ask you to look at that picture, wherever you are in that picture, that's your generation as well, isn't it? So in that generation, your desire, your goal, is that you want to be faithful to God. You want to influence your generation to be faithful to God as well, to pass it on from generation to the next. In fact, in Judaism, uh, they have a Hebrew expression that means from generation to generation. The emphasis upon how important it is for each of the generations to pass on their faith to one another, their values, their ethics, their morals, their faith. And this is built upon the scriptures, isn't it? When you look in the scriptures, there are many, many passages in the Old Testament that deal with the idea of passing on our faith from generation to generation. That within our own generation, we are faithful as well to our generation. One of my favorite ones is found in Psalm 145, verse 4 through 6. See, this one generation commends your works to another. See that connection? One generation to the next is commending the works of God. They are telling of his mighty acts. So the one generation is telling the next generation, here's how powerful God is. Here's what God is doing. They speak of the splendor, of your glorious splendor of your majesty. They talk about the majesty of God. And what does that do for me then when I hear the generation before me telling me these things about God? Well, it causes me to want to meditate in my own life on the wonderful things that God is doing in my life, in my time, right? It causes me to meditate. They tell me of the power of your awesome deeds, which makes me want to proclaim his great deeds. Do you see that connection? Generation to generation. Why are we here this morning worshiping together? Why is it important for us to talk about God to the ones that are in our family and to our friends? So that they will learn to meditate and proclaim upon that from one generation to another. I don't have to tell you this, generational faith is not automatic. It should never be assumed. Faith in God can leave very quickly from one generation to the next. It can be gone within a generation very easily. So we have the sacred, awesome responsibility as God's children to make sure that every generation knows its purpose and knows its intention, intentions that God has for us. Now, not only was that true in the Old Testament, it's true in the New Testament church as well, isn't it? 
I want to point you to a very familiar verse. We normally quote Acts 2.38, but I would like to add verse 39 to it for you to see this connection that we have. Here, Peter tells us how to become a Christian, the very first ones on the day of Pentecost. Here's how you become a Christian. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here's the same belief, the same method, the same results, forgiveness. And here's the same promise. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now note, on the first day of where the church is being established, Peter says the next line, the promise. What promise? Those who repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That promise is for, now notice the generation, it's for you and your, see it, children, and for all who are what? Far off, that's you. Never changes. Same message, same method, same identical way, same spirit. We never change the message. We never modernize it. It never has to be changed. The same person who's baptized today in the name of Jesus Christ is baptized the same way they were baptized on that day of Pentecost. The same way you become a child of God in the New Testament church today is the same way it was first century church never changes nor should it because it's the truth amen now that doesn't happen automatically if we don't teach our children acts 238 then verse 39 will not happen if we do not teach our children to be faithful in god or the next generation to be faithful in god this stops this stops that, that's the sacred duty we have. It's that important, right? So the children in your home, the generations that you're part of, it's your responsibility to make sure that you're being purposeful and intentional in teaching. Because the church is not just about today. Lord willing, there are those who are far off in the near, in the future as well, that will do the same thing we're doing today. See that connection? It's an awesome thing, isn't it, to be part of the family of God, to be part of all that. So our goal is never to modernize the Bible. And I know that's hard to hear. Our goal is not to find new truth or to modernize the church to fit the world in which we live. Our goal is not to modernize. Our goal is to find the truth of being faithful to God in a modern society and to live faithfully to him no matter what happens in the world in which we live. Then when God, Christ comes back, he finds us to be people of faith and prepared for his return. And this is what he calls us to do, to live that faith in God with clarity that in this world, no matter how confusing and uncertain and how trying it may seem at times, that you are crystal clear about your direction and your life because your faith is in God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, there's a great example of that in Paul's letter to 2 Timothy. And Paul and Timothy had this generational difference in terms of age. But they were connected by and unified by their faith in Christ. And this is what Paul's referring to here, the connection between generation to generation of faithfulness. Paul begins, first of all, 
by thanking God. Thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. Now that one line says so much about what real life is all about, doesn't it? See it? Paul says that he knows to thank God. Now how did he know to thank God? Because his ancestors did. His ancestors had taught him this. He had learned by example and by teaching to thank God and notice whom I serve. Paul's life was about what? Serving. Why? Because he was thankful to God. What else? Because his ancestors had also done what? Serve God. What do we want to teach not only our generation we're part of, but every generation? To be thankful to God and to learn how to serve God. And not only do that, do it with a what? Boy, there's a, that's life right there. With a what? A clear conscience. A clear conscience before God and myself and others. I've learned to live this life, Paul said. Now notice, Paul connects his faith to the ones that had come before him. Right? So now he turns to Timothy. Notice the connection again. Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded now lives in you boy there there's another great statement of life right here's Timothy whose dad was not a follower of God but had a grandmother and a mother who were faithful to God, right? So the grandmother and the mother create in Timothy the teachings and the example of what it means to be faithful to God. And not only to believe in God, but to have what kind of faith? See it? A sincere faith. An authentic faith. A real faith. And not only that, it's a deep faith, isn't it? Because the faith that dwells in grandma and the faith that dwells in mom now dwells in Timothy. Isn't that wonderful? So in all this, thanking God, serving God, modeling it, teaching it, sincere faith, an example of it dwelling in me, that, that's what generational faith looks like. Does that make sense? And each one notice Timothy's faith was not his grandmother's faith or his mother's faith. It's his faith, isn't it? And it's his faith that dwells in him. But the great thing about being a parent, right, is when you look at your children and you see that their children have their faith in God that's built upon what you've taught and modeled. And it's also in your own generation, wherever you are, that you are striving to learn how to thank God and serve him and be the model to teach others as well. Amen? And that's, that's there. Now, I, it's interesting in Genesis 18, we think of Abraham as being the man of faith, which he is. But God was speaking to some angels one day, and they were discussing the judgment that was coming upon Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness, for their just pure evil. And God makes this statement. He says, I need to tell Abraham about this. 
I need to tell Abraham what I'm about to do to Sodom. Now, here's the reason why. For I have chosen him so that he will do what? Direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Abraham, man of faith, told by God to pass it on to the next generation, right? And so you have throughout the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, don't you? Mantra keeps on going, passing on that faith. Now notice, Abraham, you are to direct your children. You can't force your children. You can't make them do something from that standpoint. You plant the seeds. You lead them and point them in the right direction. You direct your children and your household to the way of the Lord. Now, I don't have to tell you there are other ways to live that have nothing to do with the Lord. There are many different paths. There are many different people to follow. There are many different so-called ways. And there are many ways that seem right to us. It just feels right. It seems right. But in the end, it's wrong. The only way, the only way that leads to salvation, and there's no other way, is the path that God gives us. And there's no, no other way that will lead to salvation. And so Abraham's told to direct his family in that direction, to lead them, to teach them, to model them. So what is he teaching them? What is the way of the Lord? The way of the Lord shows people whenever they live or wherever they live, what is right and what is just. And Abraham was told to teach his children what is right and just. How do you know today? How do we know today what is right and what is wrong? How do we make that decision? What is the source that we use to determine what is right or wrong? There's only one way. Only one way. What God says is right. And what God says is wrong. And what God says is just. And there's no other way than that. And if any other thing contradicts that, it's wrong. It's just wrong. Because God's way is always the right way. And that needs to be stressed and emphasized and taught continually and modeled continually for each generation. Moses, by the grace of God, was led to lead the Hebrew people out of Egyptian captivity. God then gives Moses the law for the people. And as he's given this law, Moses gives a summary of what God expects of those who follow him. And here's the summary in Deuteronomy 6. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing, the Jordan to possess, so that, here it is, you, your what? Your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. There's a summary, right? I'm giving you this law so that you may know what's right and just, so that you may obey them, and that you may then teach them, not only to yourself, but your children and to their children. Generational. Teaching that faith to them. 
Now, he then, in verse 4, begins with the greatest truth of life. And this is the greatest truth of life. Hear, O Israel, this is what Jesus will repeat in his ministry. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. There's the priority. See it? The greatest truth of life is right here in verse 4. If someone asks you, what is the secret to life? Tell me the secret to life. Here it is. To know the Lord God and to love him with all your heart, soul, and strength. Teach that to yourself and to your children and to your children's children. Now, this is the key to life, not only the secret to life. If you don't accept this as the key to life, then you will struggle with anything the Bible says or any time God tells you to obey him. But if you understand who God is and you accept this to be the truth, then you eagerly go to his word and you eagerly want to do and obey what God tells you to do. And that's what we must teach our children as well. So how do we do that? There's a summary. It's the key to life. Here's what we're teaching, the priority. But how do we do this? Well, verse 7 through 9. Here's what we do. You impress it on your children. See it? We make an impression upon our children, don't we? We make impressions upon everybody, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But if you have an act of faith in your home, does that make an impression upon your children? When you're serving the Lord with all your heart, does that make an impression upon your children? When you love the Lord and love his church, does that make an impression upon your children? Does it make an impression upon the generations? Yes or no? Answer. So... We impress that upon our children. The church is important. It's important for them to be in classes and around others and learn everything they can. But your home, this is what was intended by God. The home to be the place that it's impressed upon. To be taught, to be remembered, to be shaped. And he says it's not just something you go to. No, you talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. It's part of your normal conversation. It's life application. It's not it's time to get dressed, it's time to go to church this morning. It's all parts of life. When we're dealing with life, we're sharing with them what God says about life and what God intends for us to do and whether we're in the car or at home or doing something else, it comes up. It's a normal conversation that you're not afraid to have with your children or shy away from your children or shy away from the next generation because it's so much a part of your life, you can't help but share it, and they want to hear it as well. This is, this is what we're looking at. You tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Bind them on your forehead. Tell those stories. Have visuals. The authority that comes with it, the memorization of the scriptures, to have the word of God planted deep in your heart from generation to generation, to help them memorize those verses that we give them the first of each month, to help our children to know where important verses in the Bible are. We know them. They know them. We talk about them. We have them memorize them. Say, well, I can't have them memorize that. Well, you have them do their homework, don't you? You make sure they get everything else they need to memorize done, right? So why wouldn't you, in the most important thing in life, spend that time to help 
that generation do the same thing. Write them on the door frames of your house, on your gates, and that's pictures and the pictures they draw, Bible stories that they bring home, you put on your refrigerator. See what I'm saying? It's all part of life. Faith is not something you go to on a Sunday morning only. Faith is something you live out, and that's what God is telling them in Deuteronomy. It is every part of your life is to be impacted by your faith. Every decision that you make in every relationship is to be taught and modeled in the home, passing on from generation to generation. So one thing we need to train each generation is about the worldview, right? There is such thing as a worldview and how the world views certain things and certain topics and certain things that go on in life. What is the worldview of certain things? And it's important that we have a biblical worldview. And by that I mean this. I want you to think of some things in our world where those views are held that you know that are in absolute contradiction to the Bible. Can you think of one or two? Worldviews that are popular and just stated as being the view that are absolute in contradiction and downright sinful according to the Bible. Write them down and then say, what do you think about it? Ask your children, what do you think about that world view? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And more importantly, do you even know what they think about that worldview? Or are you just assuming you know what they think about it? Does that make sense? Because from generation to generation, people do think differently, don't they? And they view the world differently. So we should never assume, we should ask. So when you think about world, well, what do you think about that? Now, in Romans 12, verse 2, Paul says this. Don't let the world conform you to its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Just by making that statement, Paul says there's a problem, isn't there? If we're not careful in this world, we can develop views of this world that are just put upon us because we're always exposed to them in many, many different walks of the world in which we live. And they become our accepted norm. And Paul says, do you really want to be squeezed into a mold? Or do you really want to have the mind of Christ and think about your worldview and think about life and having it being transformed? So where do we start? If my worldview is shaped... What is shaping it? The very first question that must be asked is this. What does the Bible say? I don't care what you think or what your friends think. It's, I mean, I care. But I want, what does the Bible say? Point your children and the generation that you're talking to, to the Bible. You can spend all day long having a good discussion about current events. And we all pull our ideas about current events. 
But at some point in time, somebody in some generation needs to stand up and say, well, what does the Bible say? Because the bottom line is, whatever the Bible says about anything is right. And there's no other discussion about that. None of us as humans ever have the right to challenge the Bible and argue against the Bible. We do not have that right. The only thing we can do is recognize our stubborn, rebellious heart and realize if the Bible's saying that and I don't agree with that, then I need to change because I am wrong. And I don't care how emotional or how sympathetic or how wonderful the worldview may seem about certain things. If the Bible causes a sin and the Bible says it's wrong, then it's always going to be a sin and it's always going to be wrong for you, your children, their children, and for those who are far off. That's the way it is. So what do we need to do? 2 Timothy 1, 13 through 14. Here's a key word here. we got to guard the truth. What you've heard from me keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Here it is. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives on you, in you. When you're confused, when you're uncertain, when you have issues... The worldview is pulling you away from the scripture. By faith, learn this. I will guard the truth. I will treasure it in my heart. And I will not let the devil steal it away from me or my children. I'm going to guard this good deposit. There is no greater treasure than God's word. There's no other way. And we got to come to that faith and pass that on from generation to generation. That's why in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 15, it says, As you, as for you, continue in what you've learned, become convinced of, because you know those who from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which make you what? Wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Staying in the Word, studying the Word, knowing the Word, obeying the Word, understanding the Word is the source of all wisdom for life. We've got to pass it on. Biblical worldview. Have you ever been walking, minding your own business, and you walk into a spider web you didn't see? Is that the most annoying? I mean, right around the corner here at the church, every so often I'll walk around, and there's this, I'll walk right in a spider web. It happens every so often. You'd think by now I'd learn to look for the spider web, right? But it doesn't happen enough for me to always think about. But when you walk into it, it's just sticky. It's just like, how did I get into this mess? You just can't get it right? The web that's there, the spider web. When I think about our culture in which we live, how often in our culture do you find ourselves just walking into a web of our culture, right? And just all over us. It just feels horrible and here we are in that cultural changes that are taking place around us. And did you know that the beliefs of the culture are not always right? Do you know not everything that happens in culture is right and good for us? It's hard to believe, isn't it? Because everyone thinks that cultural change is always good and it's always best. But 
we are being shaped by our culture just like our worldview. And we're constantly under that pressure. And we walk right into it. It's, it's like a web. That's why the Bible says these words over and over again. Do not be deceived. Right? Do not be deceived. What does it mean by that? Don't let this culture deceive you. Don't be deceived in these things. We need to teach and model to each generation discernment. To discern what is right and wrong. To discern what is a cultural shift or something that's right or something that needs to be changed. With any cultural issue, no matter how popular it may be, we always want to ask this question about a cultural issue. No matter how much we discuss it, no matter how much we think about it or talk about it, here is the question that you want to ask and your children should ask and their children should ask. What does the Bible say? That means you need to know what the Bible says and your children need to know what the Bible says and their children need to know what the Bible says. This is not an opinion. This is not what do you think about our culture it's not, well, everything that happens now is bad and everything before then was good. No, this is an issue that's gone on since the beginning of humanity. But God has always directed us, when we're looking at cultural or worldview world things in our life, to always, what does God say and what does God want me to do? And that's either right or wrong, according to the Word of God. That's why in Titus, Paul says to Timothy, you need to teach the older men... So if they can teach the younger men, and we need to teach the older women, he didn't give an age there, so I'm not going to say what, teach the older women to teach the younger women. Hear that? Generational. Teach the older men, so they're still teachable, right? to teach the younger men, passing it on. Teach the older women, they're still teachable, to teach the younger women. What? And you see it's the walk of faith, the life of faith. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Notice you're taught that. But it also teaches us to say yes to living a life that is upright, self-controlled, and godly in this present age. Now, I love the story. I want to close this with Joshua, don't you? This is the whole story in, in just a nutshell about the importance of generational faith. Joshua, towards the end of his life, says to the people, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods of your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we'll do what? So Joshua says, you do what you want to do, but I hope that you'll choose like I do to serve the living God. All right? To serve the living God. There is no assumption on Joshua's point, a part, that the next generation is going to be faithful to God. He says, you're going to do what you want to do, but I hope that you will choose to serve. And you think about what Joshua's concerned about is that flow of faith from his generation to the next, to the next, to the next. And all you have to do is look. In our Christian life, the number of people you know that have become distracted by the world, number of people that have been traumatized in life, that have walked away from God, those who used to have good, godly habits 
that have now given those habits up and not replaced them with anything better, and they're struggling in their spiritual walk right now, and their family's struggling because they've given up those good habits. We've seen that in this past year alone, very vividly. Sinfulness that enters into the heart of a parent or generation that just doesn't affect them, but from generation to generation. Christians who get discouraged by life just get discouraged, and they walk away. Some who grow complacent. Some who grow compromised. So here this morning, we can all say, as for me and my household, we'll serve the Lord. But as you look around, as time goes on, you see people who fall away, don't you? And it doesn't just affect them. It affects their family. Think of a young, young father who gets discouraged and walks away when his children are young. That impresses their children, doesn't it? Think about grandparents who get discouraged by life and walk away. It affects their grown children, doesn't it? And their grandparents and their great-grandchildren. It breaks that cycle of flow. I'm just asking you to think about the importance of faith and don't let anything in this world the devil can use to separate you from the love of Christ and the love of God. Joshua said, as for me in my household, we'll serve the living God. Verse 31, they took him to heart and it says, the Lord Israel served throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him, who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. Isn't that wonderful? Next generation doing so. Verse, Judges chapter 2, verse 10, next generation following. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Just that period of time from Joshua, next generation following, they had walked away from the Lord. So here, here's the encouragement I want to give all of us today. Would you be a Joshua for your generation? Would you be that Joshua? Will you serve the Lord we have a desire to help others in all generations to serve the Lord. After all, one day there will be the generation called the final generation. You know what the final generation is? One day there will be a group of people like this in the final generation when Christ returns. And Christ asks the question when he returns, will I find people of faith? Will I find people of all generations of faith? What will I find when I return? And what he tells us is he's going to find a lot of people who are unfaithful and compromised. But to those that he finds faithful in each generation, he will gather them up. They'll be redeemed and live with him forever. Amen? So we all teach from generation to because we, when will that final generation be? We want to be prepared. We want them to be prepared as well. Amen? So let's learn to pass it on. So this morning, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation anyway, please do so as together we stand and sing this next song.